1: Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jettikin. We're going to start out the show by thanking our lovely Patreon contributors. They donated over at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Just uploaded a new bonus episode. Ooh. You can go find that there. Yeah. Uh, This week we had Queen Me, Lucy, Julia, Dustin, Carl, Stacy, Tamsin, Laura, Leanne, Marcella, Shayna, Yanari, another Tamsin, Chanel, Cindy, Natalie, Jane, Brandy, Veronica, and Fire Thunder. Ooh, that sounds like a (laughs) slot machine.
0: (laughs) Like, I think I've played a slot called Fire Thunder. Yeah, it does. It has like really good sound effects. Oh, yeah. Like a. (laughs) (laughs) That's what Fire Thunder sounds (laughs) like. That's exactly it. That was what I was thinking. I miss Vegas so much. Yeah. I, I was miss thinking it's... about our uh, Palm Springs, too. Oh, I miss ones. it. Yeah. I miss a casino. So since we're going to have our annual Halloween horror movie October, which will probably be pretty gruesome crimes, yeah. I thought I'd take us out of September with some something that was like a little bit lighter There's some darkness to it, but (laughs) mostly it's light. And that is a behind-the-scenes look at the hit show that we all grew up with in syndication, The Brady Bunch. Some of our listeners grew up with it when it was on, probably. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, everyone... This show was in syndication pretty... It's probably still in syndication... Yeah. Uh, Cuz I watched it as a kid. I watched it and I watched um I watched it multiple times. Me too. Remember did you have it when it was on like TBS and it started at like 5:05 5. 05 or something? <laughs> Do you remember the channel that started at like 5 yeah, after? Yeah. Was that like TBS? I I think so. But I watched a lot of Brady Bunch as a kid. Oh, me too. And I've seen I've seen almost every episode multiple times probably because there wasn't like a lot of things to watch and I liked that show. Like it was yeah. very funny <laughs> in its weird way. I really liked
1: also just the aesthetic of it as Me a too. kid. I did too. Like I really enjoyed
0: everyone's outfits. I like the outfits and I like the house. Ugh, I mean, house. it just, it's like a, it's a weird time capsule show that just, I don't know. It stood the test of time clearly. Now, There was a lot of on-set drama and scandals. Um, There's also some off-screen, like after the show ended, there was drama continuing to happen for the cast members as they all tried to break out of their goody-two-shoes, Brady shackles, some shit went down. So let's get started. In 1966, following the success of his TV series, Gilligan's Island, Sherwood Schwartz conceived the idea for the Brady Bunch. I didn't know that those two shows... We're the same creator, <laughs> Sherwood Schwartz. I feel like that guy's name was all over *Nick at Night*. I guess, but I, I guess I just never thought of it. Like I always thought of Sherwood Schwartz as the *Brady Bunch*, and I did watch Gilligan's Island* as well. I did that's not like another show that was always in syndication. Now, according to him, and this is a quote: "It's very rare that a writer knows exactly where his ideas come from. However, in the case of the *Brady Bunch*, I know exactly what inspired the show. It was a four-line filler piece in the *Los Angeles Times*, just to." Just a a statistic. It said that year, 1965, 31% of all marriages involved people who had a child or children from a previous marriage. It was just a statistic, but to me, it indicated a remarkable sociological change in our country. 31% is approximately one third of all marriages. That's a huge uh, stat. He began pitching the series about a blended family and he was calling it yours and mine. He shopped his script to three major networks, but they were all turning him down. Three years later, United Artists released a film called Yours, Mine, and Ours, starring Lucille Ball and Henry Fonda. And that told the story of a widow with eight children who married a father of ten. That sounds like a fucking nightmare. That's too many kids. (laughs) Now, that film did very well, and suddenly the networks are very interested in this Sherwood Schwartz uh, script. Now it was being called the Bradley Brood because the movie (laughs) took like a very similar name as his original uh, thing. When casting the six Brady kids, Schwartz wasn't sure what the parents would look like yet because the main actors hadn't been hired. So his goal was to have a total of 12 child actors in reverse, three blonde girls, three blonde boys, three brunette girls, and three dark haired boys. He said, as a consequence to this day, there are dark haired, girls, and three blonde boys, about 45 to 50 years old, somewhere in this world, who might have been the Brady Bunch kids. Ah, oh, that's gotta suck. Yeah, I mean, th- they're older now, so when this... Yeah, but out, you yeah. could have been
1: like a billionaire, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I look, I, look, we're going to fast forward, but I, I'd have to, I mean, I'm guessing those kids are set for
0: life? I don't know what the deals were. I think they definitely had some money, but I don't know that they're set for life. Yeah. Because the things were Different than right, um, and I don't think syndication people knew syndication was going to be a thing to ask for in your deals, right? So I think a lot of those old TV stars got screwed on syndication. You're stuff. right; they might have. Um, so he he talks about this in his book called Brady Brady Brady, uh, and they he said they're probably just finding out when they're reading this book. <laughs> so regardless of whether or not they had a shitload of money, it would have been cool to have been one of the Brady Bunch kids. Now for the role of Mike Brady because uh, this at this point they've changed it now to Brady over Bradley. He said that there was a number of men I wanted to interview and someone who was up for the part was Gene Hackman. Oh. Yes. He said Paramount wouldn't even okay Gene Hackman for an interview because he had a very low TVQ, which is like um, the audience's familiarity with like an actor or a personality. I get it. You don't want a Jewish family. <laughs> TV executives just like, if they didn't have this TVQ, they didn't fucking even want to consider them. They finally chose Robert Reed because he was already under contract to Paramount. And he was on a popular show called The Defenders at the time. So they knew he had that TVQ. The year after the Brady Bunch debuted, unknown Gene Hackman starred in The French Connection and won an Academy Award for Best Actor. So he's It'll, been a major star ever since. It all worked out, out for him. It all worked for Gene Hackman. Now, comedic actress Joyce Boulafont was also the one who was initially uh, cast to play Mrs. Brady. Uh, The reason Eve Plum eventually landed the role of Jan is because she looked so much like Boulafont when they were sort of playing around with this casting. Originally, Sherwood envisioned Mrs. Brady as a wacky mom type, similar to the Lucille Ball character in Yours, Mine, and Ours. But the cast, um, they kind of changed the dynamics when they hired Ann B. Davis to play Alice. So she kind of took on the role of the wacky uh, kind of mother figure, I guess. And they wanted to find a more down-to-earth mom. And they came across Texas-born musical theater star Florence Henderson, and she got the job. Now, this Joyce Boulefont went on to star in uh, The Mary Tyler Moore Moore Show, so she also did fine. Now, another interesting casting thing is that an actress up for the role of Cindy was Jodie Foster, Oh. That would have taken it in a different direction. <laughs> oh, that would have been such a different vibe. Uh, obviously, she did not get the part. Uh, we know it was um, shit, Susan Olson.
1: What's the reverse? This is like all these people who were almost up for the part of Brady family members went on to become like Academy Award winners.
0: Yeah. <laughs> It's got, to, it's got to feel great, like it's got to be like one of those things where you're like, Yes, I got the part, and then looking back, you're like, Well, I would have done better if I never got the part. <laughs> like, my greatest moment was actually a bad thing or something, although not all of them may have gotten anything out of it,
1: yeah. Didn't. And I think if that's your if I mean, that's like if you're a Brady kid, like you're an icon for life, right? Absolutely.
0: So some other things from the pilot script, um, Mike Brady is depicted as being a widower and Schwartz originally wanted the character of Carol to have been divorced, but the networks nixed that and they basically just never commented on what had happened. You're right. It's never brought up. I actually, um, when I was thinking about doing this, someone tweeted about this and that was sort of what got me on, oh, maybe I should do an episode on this. And it, yeah, I like looked everywhere and there's no, they don't say anything would happen to her husband and the, the Brady girls all took Brady as a last name. Right. Which was something you would only do if the dad is dead or he's like a deadbeat dad, which is really dark to think that they had a deadbeat dad who just like abandoned them. Now that I think about it, I don't even remember what the uh, oh,
1: fucking melons on top of the table. Hold on. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That's OK. Uh, I don't even remember the origin story of the Lamberts and the Fosters on Step by Step. Oh. Like, I don't know. You know what I maybe think? Maybe it's the, too sad. I think one of the moms... I think the mom died maybe, but they kept the, the last names. Anyway, but yeah, I don't think... And I think in the Brady Bunch movies, which were obviously yeah.
0: satirizing the Brady Bunch... Right. I think they did do some,
1: if I remember. They had like a
0: dad come back from the dead, right? Wasn't that like the major... um, In the
1: sequel, I believe they had like a con artist pretending. Yes. He was pretending
0: to be the dad. But is that canon? Like the dad can come back. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like (laughs) it's a possibility. Right. Yeah. So another thing that was sort of done early on is the theme song that's written by Schwartz and a guy named Frank Duvall. Uh, it's a very famous theme song. It pretty much lays the whole fucking story out for us from the get go. I I miss when they used to do that. I like a theme song that gives us all the like everything we need to know in a few <laughs> sentences. I like a theme song that gives a prologue. I love it. I love it. And this is a classic. And you have the grid. You have <laughs> you have the fucking kids on each side. You have Alice in the middle. You know that when, <laughs> you know that when they figure that out, they were like. This
1: is fucking genius.
0: It is genius. Um, It was originally sung by a band called the Peppermint Trolley Company, season (laughs) one. But then the kids started singing. These kids like singing, Rachel. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Now, the other iconic thing about the Brady Bunch is the house. This was a house that was um, in Studio City. They only used it its exterior, like the exterior for exterior shots. They pretty much like whatever the old school version of Photoshop is, put like a window on the front of the house that didn't exist to make it look like a two story. And then they created the interiors. Mike is an architect on the Brady Bunch, and Sherwood Shorts picked this house because he's like, this is the house that an architect would have. The interior is pretty cool. The staircase, like the sunken living room.
1: <laughs> I mean, I would love to live in a house like that. <laughs> it's
0: pretty cool. Yeah, um, so that's that. Now, the series was actually never a critical success or a hit during the time it was on air, but it was obviously pretty popular, and then it went into syndication, and that's where it really became sort of the hit show that we all think of when we think of this show. It wasn't a hit when it was on. No, it was like a middle-of-the-road kind of show. Like, So it grew a cult following. It grew a cult following after it was canceled and went into syndication. Like, wow. Uh, yeah. So just a quick note here, my sources for this episode are the Barry Williams book, Growing Up Brady. That's the guy who played uh, Greg. Uh, this is a pretty good book. Like... Um, it goes into a lot of the episodes. It really goes into detail of what it was like to work on set. I'm going to get into a lot of the juicier stuff, but it's pretty interesting. And the Maureen McCormick memoir, Here's the Story, Surviving Marsha Brady and Finding My <laughs> True Voice. <laughs> uh, there's also a Sherwood Schwartz, Lloyd Schwartz book about the Bradys, but I didn't uh, get to that one because I had my hands full with two yeah. and a lot of stuff online. So Yeah. There was a lot of onset stresses now, the first kid who was literally locked down was Susan Olsen playing Cindy, and the reason was when she um, went in for her interview, she had a lisp now that lisp was real it was not an acting bit. she had this real lisp and he he Sherwood Schwartz described hearing her speaking, and he was literally on the floor laughing. <laughs> I mean, it sounds so awful. It's like <laughs> laughing at this girl's lisp. That's so funny. Uh, so she was working on a show called Gunsmoke at the time and talking about horses. So all of those things were getting really, uh, you know, she had that sil- sil- what is it sibilant s or something, whatever she had. Uh, it has specific- a name. Yes. So she actually had that lisp her whole life and was only able to uh, fix it through surgery as a young adult. Interesting. So she did do like speech therapy and wasn't able to get rid of it. Now all the other kids had much more competition, but she kind of got that part. Like he was like, I want fucking her. Now we have Mike Lookinland, who was his first choice for the role of Bobby. But when brown haired Robert Reed was cast, the problem was that Mike Lickenland had blonde strawberry blonde hair. So he actually had to dye his hair brown throughout the entire series to match the brown-haired kid, like the brown-haired boys and the three siblings. Isn't it wild that they took that to such an extreme? Wow. Uh Susan Olsen also her hair was naturally blonde, but it wasn't golden enough, so they would bleach her hair initially until it started falling out. <gasps> and then they finally were like, "Okay, I guess we'll just like let that go." Now, there were some other hair scandals. One of the hair scandals was um, that Cindy Brady, like people would accuse Cindy Brady of clipping her pigtails on, that they weren't real.
1: The horror.
0: (laughs) And then in this, in this, In the memoir, Growing Up Brady, she's like, they were real. Like, she defended her pigtails. Another scandal was when Greg and Mike Brady got perms in the later seasons. Do you remember when they all completely changed their look? Yes. It got, like, less 60s and more 70s and groovy.
1: Well, the first season was, what, 69? I think it's, yeah, I think it started in 67. No, it didn't. It was not that early.
0: That's when it, like,
1: started up. But I'm saying that first aired.
0: Um, I don't know. Hold on.
1: We need to look this up right now. I'm okay. almost positive it started in 69. Yes,
0: 69 okay. it was the first season. And it went to what, 74?
1: Yes. Uh, yes,
0: 74. Cause so I mean, it went from 60s to, like, real 70s.
1: I mean, it was, like, the last few months of the 60s.
0: Right, but the style was still very... It was early 70s. Yeah. Now, so in the later seasons, it gets real hippies. Like, they have, like, Greg has, like, beads on his... Doorway, (laughs) like that kind of level. Uh, So in the book, he says speaking of the perm rumors, That leaves us, like he denies that he ever got a perm. He's like, but that leaves us with Robert Reed. He too suffers from allegations of phony curls, but all I can say on the subject is, I don't know. You have to draw your own conclusions. I asked Bob on more than one occasion for the real scoop on his hair, and his answer was always very terse and is usually made up of three statements. First, he tells me that his hair has always been naturally curly. Second, he tells me that when we started the show, he used a blow dryer to stretch and straighten it out. And third, he says that when the Brady's got to Hawaii, the humidity was so intense that no matter what he did with his hair, it would just stay curly. And he saw the dailies and liked it and left it that way forever, even to this day. Now, I personally think that either Bob has the single most perfect head of symmetrical curls God ever put on this (laughs) human head. Like, he's basically saying he thinks he got a perm, but Robert Reed never admitted to getting a perm. It's a very like,
1: perfectly curled. Like, it doesn't look like Look, I don't I doesn't look that natural to me.
0: I I didn't even know guys got perms. Yeah, some guys get perms. Okay, I just didn't know. Like so did you ever get a perm? Never. Why would I need I have naturally curly hair. That's true. I did get a perm. You did? Yes. And I don't think I have any pictures of it. Oh my god. Because I have very straight straight hair. It did not look good and it was like awful. And I probably cut it off very shortly after.
1: I feel like that seems like very 90s. That's like a rite of passage for every 80s, 90s child is to get who has straight hair. Every child with straight hair like
0: it gets just, a perm. I like didn't do it for a very long time. Then I was like, maybe I should just try it. Just because I think once I started like dyeing my hair purple or whatever, I was less like scared of doing yeah. something to my hair because I was like, I don't care. I'll just fucking cut it off if I don't like it. You like, had purple hair. Oh, I dyed my hair like every color. I did every color. I want to see pictures. I had like, platinum blonde. I had like pink. I had mixtures. I dyed it black. That was really bad because I'm really fair. <laughs> so I had like no eyebrows and no eyelashes. And like I had to like wear makeup every second. Right. And I don't really wear a ton of makeup. I got
1: the straightening. I've had my hair straightened. Yeah. So that's like the opposite of a perm. Right. I yeah. mean, I've had the Japanese straightening. I had the Brazilian blowout many, many times.
0: Now, other things that were happening on set, Susan Olson told a story about Maureen McCormick getting sh- caught shoplifting. She would uh, do these shoplifting sprees with her friend Susan Calsell, who was in a band called the Cowsells. They're like a um, partridge family, but in real life, like a family of singers. Uh, she also spoke up that there was like a little bit of real rivalry between Eve Plum and Maureen McCormick. Like it wasn't just a sis, like sibling rivalry on screen. They actually had like a little bit of tension in real life as well. Now you mentioned loving the wardrobe. The kids hated their wardrobe. They wanted it to be cooler than... They, they didn't think it was hip or cool or of the day, like other kids were wearing those things at all.
1: I mean, I'm sure at the time, those were not cool looking clothes. They were dorky. I
0: mean, looking back at it now, we think it's cool. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But then they were like, no, we want to wear shorter skirts. We want to wear like... When they started getting older, the girls wanted to wear like sexier things. Look, the, <laughs> the Brady children are a bunch of squares. Absolutely. So, but no one hated their character more on the kid's side uh, than Susan Olsen. Now, she was nothing like Cindy. She was a evil, self-described, more like bad seed evil and more of a tomboy. And she fucking hated dork-ass geek Cindy Brady. Now, first of all, I love Cindy Brady. That was my favorite character. (laughs) Here is... Um, a quote, some quotes from her. She said, I thought Cindy was the single biggest geek in the world. She was an idiot. I mean, I didn't like Cindy, but I really hated the fact that she was so stupid. Even as a kid in the first season, I remember running up to my mom and asking her, why is it funny and cute to be stupid? (laughs) Why is Cindy so stupid? And why is that a good thing? If you ever stop and listen to some of the lines that come out of Cindy's mouth, you come away with the idea that she's our word. I remember the worst one. Jesus. This is this is Susan Olsen's quote, not me. I remember the worst one came during the first season in that episode where they all get the measles. Carol comes into Cindy's rooms and give her, gives her a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And Cindy asks, how come you always give me peanut butter and jelly? And Carol says, because that's your favorite. And moron Cindy replies, oh, yeah, I keep forgetting. <laughs> I'm sorry. I like that she's so mad about this kind of stuff. Who was you? So, Cindy was your favorite? Yes. She says, I can remember even then being really distressed about it and asking my mother, why? Why? Why do I have to say this stuff? And to make it worse, I'd have to go back to school after this and try to live down what Cindy had done. And you know, like, let's face it, kids are horrible psychotic maniacs and just <laughs> praying cruel at the time. So, she had a really tough time, especially after the episode where Cindy was a tattletale. <laughs> Cindy was a little narc yeah and she's like I would come home and I'd I, it, I would be like you know this isn't me I'm you know I don't squeal I don't squeal she would tell her classmates, <laughs> you know I can't I can keep a secret so um but yeah just in that world of schoolyard justice she got fucking beaten down for whatever Cindy did on those episodes and Cindy was a little baby sometimes yeah we have to all admit that Now, the biggest battles, though, were between Robert Reed, who considered himself a very accomplished actor, and he was, and Sherwood Schwartz and his son, Lloyd, who were running the show and writing pretty much all the episodes. Here's a quote from Robert Reed. Uh, It was a well-known fact in Hollywood that Sherwood Schwartz was absolutely the worst writer working in television. But that all changed one day when suddenly there showed up one writer who was even worse. It was Lloyd, Sherwood's (laughs) son. And, of course, our problem was that we had both of them on the Brady Bunch. Uh, Lloyd Schwartz responded, Robert Reed is the kind of actor who could perform Hamlet, get booed off the stage, and say, Hey, don't blame me. I didn't write this shit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> According to Reed, Sherwood sold him this show by giving him that sociological angle. So when he took on the Brady Bunch, he's like, oh, this is going to explore divorce in America. And he thought it was going to be like, whatever, a little bit deeper than it actually ended up being. Now he reads the script and is horrified by the pilot script. But he kind of was like, eh, I'll do it. I have nothing going on right now. Get some fucking money. And this is going nowhere. Obviously, it got picked up, and it just kept going somewhere. Well, this is obviously,
1: I would say this is what people most know Robert Reed from.
0: Oh, totally. I mean, this is his most famous role, which has probably, you know, killed him. So they constantly fight about how stupid everything is. And Robert Reed has some legendary memos. I will get to one later. So he makes so many script notes and script complaints that they actually hire a script supervisor to work just for Robert Reed and his changes in the script. So it's like, I don't know. At some point you got to just say, I'm doing the Brady bunch. (laughs) There's nothing. That's it. Like, right. This is not that type of show. It's dumb. Like it's really, yeah, really stupid. It doesn't make sense. It's not that type of show.
1: Like I said before, all the children
0: on that show are complete squares. Yeah. It's, It's not a realistic show. No. Yeah. So Robert Reed also was a drinker, and he would get so mad sometimes that he would go over to a bar called Oblasts, which was just outside the Paramount um, lot where the, the show was filmed, and he'd get a few drinks. One time he came back loaded to the set, uh, and then Robert Reed says, okay, maybe a couple of times after these big blowups with Sherwood, I'd come back to the set drunk thinking, I don't give a fuck. Shoot <laughs> this. <laughs> and of course I made a complete asshole of myself. When I asked Bob if he could remember a specific episode where that took place, he didn't come up with one, but Lloyd Schwartz did. One time where we had Bob doing a scene with a mouse, episode 34, The Impractical Joker. And this just drove him nuts. Absolutely nuts. I mean, here's a guy who thinks of himself as a great Shakespearean actor, and he's trading lines with a mouse. And I remember he was smashed at the time (laughs) because of our shooting schedule. This was going to have to be the last shot of the day, and we finished the sequence. The episode would be complete. So I'm on the stage watching, and Bob's just plain drunk, and I found that in insult to the company, an insult to the show, and an insult to himself. I didn't want a tainted scene like this going into the dailies because the network, da 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 basically to prevent the, the scene from being finished so that we would have to shut down for the day. He had someone knock down like a big metal lighting scrim like crashed through the rafters <laughs> so that he's like cl- you know it, it like literally ruined the scene the place fell dead silent and he's like oh I guess we have to wrap it up now so he like ruined the scene just to have like not have this drunk mouse I want to see the drunk mouse scene I was just going to say now the final straw for Robert Reed was an episode that ended up being the final one for the series I think it was 177 it was season 5 In this one, I don't know if you remember this, Bobby sells hair tonic and it turns Greg's hair orange. Did you see this episode? (laughs) So basically the episode is that Bobby and Cindy both have schemes to get rich quick. Uh, Cindy is going to breed rabbits (laughs) and she has Romeo and Juliet, two rabbits who both turn out to be boys. This is the series finale. Yes, but I don't think they realized it because the show just didn't get picked up. Right? So, yeah, this is basically the last episode, and Bobby decides he's going to sell this hair tonic. He only gets one. He only gets one sale, and that's to his brother Greg, whose hair turns orange right before his high school graduation. Now, Robert Reed disliked this plot immensely because he thought the premise was absurd. He wrote a huge memo to Sherwood Schwartz about it. And he basically got written out of the episode as a result. Like, they were just, like, not having it. So Robert Reed's not in the series finale? No, he's not in this episode. He refused to do it. I'm going to read his memo in a second, or snippets of it, because it's, like, five pages long. So according to Barry Williams in his memoir, Growing Up Brady, during that episode, like, While they were filming it, Sherwood was so fucking furious and they didn't know that they were canceled at this point. So he's like, I'm going to kill Mike Brady off in a car crash. (laughs) Like, he was already planning on like killing off Mike Brady at this point. He did not want to deal with him. Wait, Sherwood Schwartz said he was going to kill him. He's like, I'm killing off Mike Brady. I want him to die in a car (laughs) crash. (laughs)
1: Oh my God. And he's like, or we could recast him. Like, can you just imagine? Mike Brady dying in a car crash and then they have to play that sad oboe
0: music that's that's like (laughs) (laughs) That's my favorite part of Brady Bunch like like the music changing and sometimes it would get like groovier and sometimes it would be like (laughs) 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 like The way they switched the, the incidental music up was hilarious but the sad oboe That's my favorite. It's so good. I just remember watching
1: like a Brady Bunch marathon or something and my mom getting so irritated like... She was like this music, this transitional music. <laughs> it is. She's like Rachel. This is so fucking
0: stupid. I think of that transitional music all the time. It's so. In fact, I find that high comedy to do that in any. If I like was a sketch writer, I would do that. That would be my signature. Like changing up the song depending how like sad it was or happy. I love when I they love do that. I love that kind of fucking shit. So I'm gonna give you a snippet of this memo that Robert Reed wrote about this tonic episode. And he takes it so seriously. He breaks down comedy into different styles, farce, slapstick, pure comedy, fantasy, satire. He, like, says Gilligan's Island is, you know, slapstick. Like, he breaks down his, this is what type of shows things. His big problem is the Brady Munch, in, in his mind, is that it didn't stick to one style of comedy. It would have all these styles mixed up sometimes, which made it incoherent to him Um, in his opinion. Now, some of the uh, glaring examples of this that he gave regarding the Brady Bunch, um, he said, this has been an almost constant scripted inner transposition of styles since the beginning. One, a a pie-throwing sequence tacked unceremoniously onto the end of a week's script. Two, the youngest daughter in a matter of a few unexplained hours managing to look and dance just like Shirley Temple. (laughs) Which I have talked about being one of my favorite episodes ever. He hated it. It's the best. Have you ever heard of sitcoms before?
1: (laughs) Yeah, Robert, come on. This is how they operate. Yeah, Remember when DJ Tanner overcame her
0: eating disorder (laughs) in one episode? Absolutely. Three, the middle boy happening to run into a lookalike in the hall of his school with such an exact resemblance, he fools his parents. (laughs) 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 Now, he... Then goes on to talk about this episode. Once again, we are infused with some slapstick. The oldest boy's hair turns bright orange in a twinkling of the writer's eye, having been doused with a non-FDA-approved hair tonic. Why any boy of Bobby's age or any age would be investing in something as outmoded and unidentifiable as hair tonic remains to be explained. I feel
1: like like that is actually a sitcom trope, is... A child in the family doing some sort of beauty remedy and it backfires spectacularly.
0: Yes. So he's his his objection is hair tonic, which I admit, that is probably like a little older than 70s hair tonic. That's yeah. like a 50s thing. Um, but he's just like, this is straight out of our gang. <laughs> Let's face it, we're long past the little dabble do ya era. <laughs> so he's just going off on like, it's so funny how seriously he's taking this absolutely ridiculous, like, incident and he's like not necessarily wrong but it's the brady Bunch. like so he ends this thing and this is like a three-page thing he goes into batman showing up on the set of mash like all of these other examples of how absurd this stuff is and his last sentence is i can't play it when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings with big cash back at hundreds of stores. Don't miss headliners like Canon, Fenty Beauty, and Dyson. I can't wait to shop for all of my summer fashion and beauty needs, and we'll definitely be checking out Ulta and Adidas. on top of Big Give Week cashback rates. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Rakuten is the shopping platform to save while shopping. So let's talk about some onset romance because there was quite a few. Uh, first, I'm going to get into Florence Henderson, who was quite racy. She's not like the goody-two-shoes mom that everyone thinks she was. She, in fact, would often uh, torture poor Robert Reed, trying to get him frisky in any scenes they had together. Here's a quote from Florence. Robert Reed was a lot less comfortable doing the bedroom scenes than I was, so I'd slide up next to him and use Carol to make him comfortable. I think it worked because afterwards he'd always come up with a racy comment intimidating that I'd gotten him really horny. I liked that, and I liked that a lot.
1: I mean, obviously, like they were a very loving couple on the series, but right. I feel like that was something that the movies satirized a lot was their relationship that they were very horny for each other. Yes.
0: And I think that was all Florence. Now, they also did things like publicity photo shoots. They, they did a lot of those. And one of them in particular had big lollipops as props. Florence at some point said they were so big it would take four hours to finish them. And Barry said, yeah. And four hours is a long time to suck on anything. Florence said, not for me, it isn't. <laughs> now, that's the that's the exact moment. Now, can you... Barry got a crush now, on
1: Florence. Now, you can tell the audience who doesn't know who Barry is that you're
0: referring oh, to. Oh, it's Greg. Her son. Yes, her son, Greg, who's playing her son. Now, he's like 16. She's like 36 uh, at this time. So he gets a massive crush on his uh, mom, uh, Florence Henderson, and they kind of bond over their dirty sense of humor. Like, she's a fun woman. She's, like, pretty free-spirited. Maureen talks about going to her house and, like, swimming, and she was, like, topless. Like, you know what I mean? She's definitely free-spirited type. So Barry has hots for his mom. There was, like, a big rumor that Florence Henderson and Barry Williams, Greg Brady, were carrying on an affair. Uh, The truth of the matter is, and he goes into detail with this, he does ask her out. And she's like, sure. So she goes on this first date with him. In her mind, it's just like a harmless, like, oh, I'm going out with him. It's like she's not looking at this as a sexual thing. It's just like for fun. But he like plans this big date. He takes her to the Coconut Grove. He like picks her up in his brother's car. He puts a suit on, like he does the whole thing, and she just goes out on the town with him, and like that's it. It's like a very innocent thing, uh, but he, of course, it was like the night of his life. Uh, so. When though, According to him, when those little things called hormones start kicking in, you get excited by even inanimate objects. It wasn't that I sought to bed her. I just wanted to spend time with her. <laughs> you just have those feelings when you kind of have a crush, but you're not sure what you're feeling. I feel like that's what he's having. Henderson agreed about their date. Um, she's like, it was totally platonic. The whole thing was Barry got blown way out of the whole thing with Barry got blown way out of proportion. I guess in a sense, it was a date because Barry thought it was, but of course, I had no intention that this was a date. It was just um, it has made for a good story though. Now, in his book, he goes on to say, at some point, twenty years after the fact, They go on a long lunch and talk about old times, and this date comes up. She said to him, We went from liking each other to having a crush on each other, and you were always on the make with me. I had to worry about that. You were really cute, and I was tempted a few times. I think we're lucky Carol never slept with Greg, but uh, it could have been. Wait, who who said that? Florence says that to Barry Williams. That she was tempted a few times. Yeah, 20 years after the fact. (laughs) Yikes. And he says, I went home feeling like a major stud. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's probably still kind of just juicing it for like fun. Yeah. I don't think she's serious, but that's not the only romances that were happening. In the book, Barry talks about him and Maureen McCormick and that they shared their first kiss. Both of their first kisses was in Hawaii when they were filming that three episode story arc with Vincent Price. It's pretty iconic. And, uh, the, and the tiki. The Tiki, yeah. Dude, That those episodes were good. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, the spider, the mirror, like just all of that stuff was like... Yeah. The surfing. It was great. Uh, it's such a good episode or episodes. Now... Their relationship continued getting hot and heavy when they were back on the mainland, and there was an episode, the final episode of that season, called A Room at the Top, and in this this scene, Marsha and Greg are sitting on the bed, arguing over who would get the attic room. Do you remember when Greg moved up to the attic room? Yes. So this scene took hours to film because the director had to keep yelling cut because they kept getting cozier and cozier as they were sitting on the bed filming this scene as sister and brother. Uh. (laughs) Lloyd Schwartz finally said that they had to put a fist, each put a fist in between them so that they wouldn't get too close during the scene, like as like a little placement. Uh, In Brady, 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 Lloyd mentions that he tried to cool things down between the two just because it was awkward in like filming, like sometimes Marcia, I and mean, Maureen would be like looking at Greg, <laughs> sort of googly eyed, like she was in love with him, which obviously there, it's not um, flowers in the attic, it's the Brady Bunch. So we can't have that kind of long- longing. <laughs> uh, he also did a strategy where he would tell Barry like, hey, don't like tie yourself down with one girl. You're like a star. You could have tons of girls, like trying to make him like play the field more. So he wasn't so hung up on Marcia. In her book, uh, here's the story she says about the experience. Like every once in a while, when they would be making out, she would she would think, "Oh my God, I'm kissing my brother!" What? Am I doing? <laughs> now they did come close to having sex a few times, but they never did. At some point, Robert Reed took them on a like vacation. Like he was like a father figure to these kids. As much as he hated the show, he did love these kids. And really treated them very well. He took them on a trip to London on the Queen Elizabeth II, like a luxury cruise ship. So on this luxury cruise ship, they had these cabins. Maureen and Eve were sharing a room and he and Christopher Knight, Peter, were sharing a room. And at some point they agree to kind of let um, Maureen and um, Barry have the, the cabin. He goes into the cabin and she's sleeping and kind of groggy. He wakes her up and climbs into bed with her. He kind of gets snuggly with her and she wakes up and kicks him out She's like, "What are you doing?" Here? <laughs> and so he like leaves with his tail between his leg, and that pretty much ended their makeout sessions. Um, now, Cindy admitted during an interview that Greg and Marsha weren't the only ones making out on set. She said, "All of us did. We led a very sheltered life um, at that point, so all we had around us were these other castmates, and we each had our own <laughs> like aged boy. Oh my God! <laughs> so she said they would all pair up." She's like, I had Mike, and we used to make out in the doghouse when we were nine. <laughs> so, like, Tiger is a dog on the Brainy Bunch. Why is this so gross to me? Because they're, like, siblings. <laughs> so she would make out... Bobby and Cindy would make out in Tiger's doghouse. And Jan and Peter would also make out, and, uh, in addition to Maureen and um, Barry. Now, she said here, um, Susan said... Uh, from the first, most of the first season, we used to sneak off into Tiger's doghouse and make out. This will probably really embarrass Michael, but a couple years later, he became manically horny. He'd see a woman with big boobs. He had a real boob thing, and he'd be fascinated. This is like age 10 or 11. So right about that time, Maureen had him, and Eve was acquiring a really respectable set. <laughs> I, of course, had none. So he decided it was time to get rid of me and chase after Eve for a while. They had gotten fake married... Then they got fake divorced. And what they did was walk down the aisle backwards and spit. <laughs> that, was <like> their, <laughs> that was their kid divorce. Amazing. Um, so Eve and Chris had their thing going. And Chris actually asked Eve out officially after the show was canceled. You're referring to Peter. Peter and, and Jan. Jan. right. The middle kids. The middle kids. So he says, I called Eve and I said, let's go to a movie. She said, okay. And I picked her up to take her... Um, take her nowhere near a movie theater. All I did was drive her up into the hills, hoping that we might finally get to finish what we had started uh, back in the day. So now they get up there in his truck and get physical almost immediately, starting to make out in his truck. They move to the back of the truck, like the open bed, whatever, and get back there and start getting really hot and heavy. As they're making out and getting under each other's clothes, huge flashlights um, come up above them, uh, and it's cops cops had come across the truck seen them in the back of the van doing god knows what and basically they start scrambling back into like whatever had been unloosened the cops yell at them to put their clothes on and get out of the car eve starts crying <laughs> and he, she's like it's so embarrassing i'm so embarrassing that is embarrassing and the cops are like what would your parents say if they knew you were up here this is awful <laughs> yeah and Pete and And Peter, Chris said, he's like, well, actually, my parents would be really happy that I was with Eve. Like, they love her. Like, so, yeah. And that kind of ended their romance because they were like, Eve was just too embarrassed to go back and like to the scene of the crime. Now, in addition to all the sex or makeouts, there was some drug use going on. So um, Barry, who played Greg... He basically started smoking pot occasionally, like very typical of that time. He's on a day off one time where he's off technically, but still on call, which means they can call you in last minute. He gets high with some friends. And then, of course, he gets called in because they had to reshoot some scenes from a episode called Law and Disorder. So he shows up. He's stumbling over nothing in the driveway. He has a glazed look in his eyes, and he's, like, not delivering his lines very well. Um, At some point, they are like, hey, what the fuck's going on? Um, And they stop filming the episode. So he, (laughs) he said that he never got to set go and said hi again. Like he didn't even like weed. It was just this weird coincidence, but yeah, he basically ruined that episode for the day and they had to stop shooting. Um, One of the most wholesome characters on the show was played by Maureen McCormick. That would be Marsha Brady. And she will also struggle with addiction and depression after the season, uh, after the series ends. I'm going to get into that much later. Now, uh, according to her, as a teenager, I had no idea that few people are everything they present to the outside world. Yet there I was hiding the reality of my life behind the unreal perfection of Marcia Brady. No one suspected the fear that gnawed away at me. And this would be sad. I think sometimes these roles do make these people feel trapped in a, in a way, especially when it's like a good girl. And I'm going to get into Maureen's life more at the end. Now, post-Brady Bunch... Uh, as I mentioned the show was not that popular while it was on in syndication it got hugely popular and that led to more stuff. We have a Brady Bunch hour which is like a variety there's multiple clips of this fucking stage extravaganza the costumes are insane. It's one of these it's like late set like 76 77 so you can imagine and it's them singing and performing variety stuff. They're also Is this the one with all the fringe? Yes. Now, there's also a 1981 TV movie called The Brady Girls Get Married. Oh, yeah. Which led to um, six episodes of a show called The Brady Brides. There's also um, a show called, I'm sorry, a movie, A Very Brady Christmas. That was hugely fucking popular. That movie was like the most popular TV movie of the year, which led to the creation of another spinoff series called The Brady's that came on in 1990. I don't remember that. Uh, This... So this A Very Brady Christmas was really popular. Um, They created this Brady show and it pretty much got all the original cast members back, except for Maureen McCormick, who was replaced by another actress. So this was like their attempt to kind of make the Bradys into something like 30 something, (laughs) which was like a drama D like it had comedy, but it was like a drama about relationships and stuff. So that was like they're like, let's do a Brady 30 something. Um, they did had- <laughs> you- <laughs> sorry, continue. Uh, no, I never watched that. Was that what you're going to ask? Uh, no, I was going to ask if you watched the TV movies. You know what? Someone was talking about them recently and in my head, I'm like, did I see these? But then when they were talking about things, I was like, that's very familiar. I did see them. I think I saw them too. They, like, they, the things were like Bobby was in a wheelchair. <laughs> oh, I don't remember that. But I, 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 the thing
1: I remember about it was watching them as a kid because they were on TV. Sometimes they would play these, and they were from the 80s. That's when they filmed them.
0: Yes. But I want to see these.
1: I, I I would like to rewatch them now as an adult, but I remember watching it as a kid because I loved the Brady Bunch, yeah. the TV show even though I knew it was stupid, but I remember watching as a kid and just being too freaked out that it was like the 80s now. It just, like, everything looked wrong. Yeah, Do you
0: know what I mean? Absolutely. And I, I realized, I'm like, I don't give a shit what these people are doing in adulthood. Yeah, I'm curious now because I, I was reading some things that just were cracking me up, like the insane storylines. Now... As with the original series, there was strife on the set and a lot of it was caused by Robert Reed. Wait, he came <laughs> he's back? Still doing all of these things. He did the variety show. He did like all of these Brady things, but he still would be complaining. This is so funny. Now, he's on this uh set for the Bradys. Uh he's still doing this thing. He um this is according to Lord Schwartz. We were shooting a scene where Alice was supposed to come into the room carrying a cake that was loaded with lit candles. Bob, being, of course, the master of reality that he is, sighed disgustedly and says, where would Alice light all those candles? (laughs) So I just say, I don't know, out there. (laughs) And Bob answers, well, one person couldn't possibly light all those candles alone. Robert Reed is like a reply guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like some reply guy energy when you're just trying to make a joke and they're like fact checking the reality of it or something. Right. right. So Florence is like, she's like the like you know, the fun person on the set. She manages, if you manage to get her mad, like that's saying something cause she lets everything slide. So he's ranting and raving about the character characters. He's like, I cannot allow myself to participate in this implausible shit. I have built my career as an actor upon drawing from reality. That statement got Florence extra mad because she thought it implied that he's a great actor and she's the hack who can, like, do this stuff. So she turns to him and says, well, maybe it's time you thought about getting a new career. And she did this in front of everyone. Bob ended up storming off the set after she said that to him. I wonder if
1: that had been pent up for, like, 20 years. Oh,
0: I bet. Now, he even managed to get a rise out of Ann B. Davis, who is the according to to barry williams the sweetest woman on the face of the planet now for those of you who don't know that's alice (laughs) that's alice the family's housekeeper live-in maid like she's in every episode um so this one they he was also complaining about some kind of line he he found he was oh wait he was parodying one of mike brady's lines as as anne remembers it Alice was supposed to be doing a bit in Bobby's wheelchair and Bobby Bob decided to make fun of the script by adjusting his original scripted line to read gee Alice if that doesn't work we'll be in deep shit so he like fouled up a a wholesome Brady bunch line (laughs) (laughs) normally Ann B would have simply let Bob's remark pass but not now this time she shot back well I don't know Mr. Brady how deep is your shit? (laughs) Um, so this show only lasted six episodes, even though I would have loved to see filthy Brady Bunch lines. That, that sounds funny to me. Um, some of the uh, stuff, other Brady stuff that has happened is there was something on HGTV recently where they renovated the original exterior Brady Bunch house, but they made the interior look like the show. Yes. Uh, apparently, all of the cast came back. It um, was like a pretty successful thing. They outbid Lance Bass for this house. Was that an. Did you see this? I remember when this was on,
1: and I remember that Lance Bass wanted the house, and I really wanted him to have the house. Yeah.
0: So I guess HGTV outbid him, and then they made this into a whole uh, episode. Can he buy it now? Is it for sale? I don't know what the deal is now. Give it to Lance Bass. And then as we've mentioned earlier there was a Brady Bunch movie that came out in 1995 and one in 1996 that was basically kind of like parroting. it was like the Brady's in modern times but still acting like it was the 70s they're really well
1: done I like those I saw both of these I think I saw both in the theaters I know my dad took me to see the sequel but I have definitely saw both of them when they came out and I remember thinking it was just fucking hysterical. They were funny. And they did a really good job satirizing them.
0: If you liked The Brady Bunch, you will love these movies because you're going to get every joke. <laughs> like, they're just fucking perfectly done. Yeah. They're so well done. And the cast is perfect. Like...
1: Oh, my God. I love
0: the girl who plays Jan. Oh, she's so good. She's
1: so perfect in that. She's nutty as hell. And... um Obviously, Christine Taylor plays Marcia, mm-hmm. and she looks just like Maureen McCormick. And the,
0: Shelley Long is Mrs. Brady. Shelley she's Long. She's really funny. Yeah. It's good. The casting is perfect. It, it is, is perfect. It's so good. Um, so let's go to where are they now. Now, Florence Henderson basically worked the rest of her life in TV. She also was a nightclub singer, and she was a Wesson spokesperson. She was also a Dancing with the Stars contestant. She died on November 24th, 2016 in Los Angeles at the age of 82. She had actually been hospitalized the previous day for some reason. The cause of death is heart failure, but it was kind of a shocking death because she hadn't been sick and it sort of came out of nowhere. Uh, A few days before her death, she actually was at Dancing with the Stars cheering on Maureen McCormick, who was a contestant that season. So yeah, that was a pretty shocking death. Now, Robert Reed did land... Some pretty big acting work that was legitimate in his mind. In 1976, he earned two Emmy Award nominations for a role in a two-part episode of Medical Center, as well as his work in the miniseries Rich Man, Poor Man. The following year, he earned a third Emmy nomination for his role in the miniseries Roots. Now, he portrayed this perfect family man on the show, but in real life, he had a secret. He was hiding the fact that he was a gay man playing a straight person on television. According to Henderson, uh, she said, here he was, this perfect father of this wonderful family, a perfect husband, but I think he was an unhappy person. I think he had felt forced to live this double life. And I think he would have dissipated a lot of that anger and frustration he felt if he could have lived more openly. I never asked him. I never challenged him. I had a lot of compassion for him because I knew how he was suffering to keep this secret. Now it wasn't he, a lot of people on the set knew he just didn't speak of it publicly. uh, So that's what she's talking about. Selling a little or a lot.
1: Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work.
0: Shopify.com slash work. And Barry Williams kind of had a similar take on it. He said "The, the reality is back then... It, he probably wouldn't have gotten the part if he was an openly gay man. Like, that just didn't happen back then to have an openly gay man play like the straight father figure on a family sitcom. So he actually gets diagnosed with colon cancer in November of 1991 when he becomes sick he only allows his daughter and an actress friend of his to visit him he's like a very private person he came from this old school where you kind of like have a sense of decorum and you keep your illness sort of away from people he eventually dies on May 12, 1992 and when he dies it's revealed that in addition to his colon cancer he was also suffering he was HIV positive now, he did not have AIDS at the time of his death, but on his death certificate, HIV positive status is amongst the, condition, the significant conditions that contributed to his death. So it was part of what uh, killed him. So do you remember, you probably don't even remember when he died. I don't. you were very young. Um, now, Greg Williams, I'm sorry, Greg Williams, Barry Williams, who played Greg, he also kind of has done like the theater circuit. Like he does like regional theater and that kind of does stuff. Does he still do it? Yeah. Uh, in 2008, he appeared on Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew as a friend of one of the patients, China, who was there, uh, a contestant. I don't know if it's a contestant is the right word. Cast member. A cast member on that show during that season. I guess they were friends. And I think we all know my very famous <laughs> Greg Brady story where he appeared on the Jenny Jones show, show and one of the saddest things I've ever seen. Now, I'll tell you my story. I was watching Jenny Jones, as one did back then, <laughs> Greg Brady, Barry Williams was on the show. I can't remember if it was like a where are they now or what. He came on and he sang a song from the Broadway show, Jekyll and Hyde. This is the moment. Okay. Do you guys know this musical? I don't like this musical. So this is the moment. is like a very dramatic, like the big solo song that the lead guy would have. He sings the song and Jenny Jones was like blown away. I'm not blown away because I hate this musical. And she's like, wow. And he's like, yeah, it's opening up on Broadway, September, blah, 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 or whatever he said. And she's like, great. This is incredible. Is this your first Broadway show? And he said, no, I'm not in it. I just love this song. <laughs> <laughs> Deeply depressing moment for me that I've never forgotten this moment <laughs> because I was literally crushed to the core. I collapsed into a puddle of like unbearable... <laughs> I don't even know what. Like, so I was never more humiliated for someone in all of my lifetime. <gasps> but he was happy about it, I guess. I just felt like completely crushed. Oh, I couldn't believe it. i I'm was like, in tears. It was so awful. Now, I completely had like filtered this out of my head. But Christopher Knight, who played Peter, he had a big comeback on the reality show, The Surreal Life. Where he met Adrian Curry, who was the first winner of America's Next Top Model. And they had, like, a 25-year age difference, but they were hot and heavy on this... I completely forgot about this, like, reality show. He had Uh, a huge VH1
1: comeback. Yeah. He... I remember that I didn't watch The Surreal Life but I saw them I mean that show was on TV all the time absolutely so like I would see snippets of it and I would see news stories about them together and they were really horny for
0: each other they were really horny they got their own VH1 series called My Fair Brady that was uh, September 11th 2005 was the premiere date for that they got married in a gothic style wedding in uh, September of 2000 I'm sorry in May of 2006 but their marriage was not good, obviously. Uh, in t- December, uh, sorry, September of 2007, they went on Dr. Phil to talk about large age gaps in relationships. And Dr. Phil all but said to them, you know, your style of arguing, the way Christopher Knight was very hurtful towards Adrian was a strong predictor of an impending divorce. Well, for once, Dr. Phil was right. And I, they-
1: <laughs> you know what's a strong indicator of impending divorce is going on Dr. Phil. That's true. That's a big we don't know what cause and correlation here. I think I think if you've reached the moment where you are on the Dr. Phil show, you have a problem.
0: Yeah. So I had completely forgotten how horny they I just remember them like I was like, Oh yeah, they were like on every red carpet being horny. They were so all over each other. So horny. So they got divorced and he married someone else. I have no idea who she is or how old she is.
1: I just couldn't believe that he was also with someone who was so hot too. Because he did not age hot. No, he just looked like an average middle-aged man. Cause I always thought Peter Brady was cute. Like when he was a kid.
0: He was cute. He was cute, but I just don't think he aged into a hot man. No, I thought I liked Bobby. Like that was my crush. I had a crush on Bobby. Well, you like Cindy also. <laughs> I wanted to be in a three-way. <laughs> <laughs> Bring me in the doghouse. <laughs> Uh, so speaking of Bobby, Mike Lookinland, uh, he actually had a successful career in like film production. He did that for twenty years, and then he said that his wife brought a book home to him that was called "How to Make Concrete Countertops," <laughs> and that book changed his life. This was in twenty thirteen. He said, "Honey, I'm quitting my job. I'm going to make concrete countertops for a living. It's artistic, it's rewarding, and it's permanent." So they went. They moved back to Utah, which is where he's from, and he started this uh, concrete countertop business. And I guess it's pretty successful. Good for him. He's like, yeah, it's pretty wholesome, normal life. He's also a lifelong deadhead. I he's did been not, not
1: know that. He
0: has been to over 100 dead shows. I wonder if I've ever run into him before. Maybe. <laughs> now, Susan Olson. Well, just by the way, I am not a deadhead.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: clarify that.
1: My parents are deadheads. Absolutely. Okay? I mean, you're from
0: Marin County. My There's first, no way you've my, not gone to a dead
1: show. Look, technically my first concert was Earth, Wind, and Fire and Barry White, but the first concert I was involuntarily brought to was a Grateful Dead show in Berkeley
0: oh. when I was a year old. Oh, shit. Okay? I think my first concert was either Rolling Stones or Elton John. What? <laughs> Because my mom, I don't remember, I was young, Oh, but I went to a lot of concerts because I had trash parents. Also, another indicator
1: of how I turned out to be who I turned out to be, in my baby book, it says uh, at some point in 1985, mommy, mommy was like six months pregnant or five months pregnant with Rachel and danced up a storm at Bruce Springsteen.
0: Ooh, that's
1: hot. That just, thanks mom. Yeah.
0: Okay, Cindy uh, Susan Olson. Now she initially had to deal with an urban legend that she had become an adult film star. And in 1990, uh, television interview, she said that her porn connection was that she created spaceship sound effects for a porn film called Love Probe on a from a warm planet. She said she did this for a friend of hers who worked in the technical side of the business, and that's how the rumor got started. Um, the star of The star of the film, another film called Crocodile Blondie, (laughs) was also um, thought to be her. And she's like, I don't care. It's not me, but she's very pretty. So I'm not offended if people think it is. Crocodile Blondie. That's the name of a porn? Yeah. That sounds good. So she also talked about her post-Brady time spent as a drug dealer. Cindy! Yes. She and her husband grew marijuana hydroponically and this is before marijuana was legal. So she's like, I didn't really smoke marijuana, but I, I'm a gardener, and I was really fascinated at growing this fascinating, wonderful, complicated plant. She did eventually leave her husband because she was got. She started getting nervous about participating in this illegal activity, so her drug dealing days ended. Now later in life, she becomes a radio, like talk radio person in LA with a woman named. DJ Sheena Metal. They have a weekly talk radio show called Two Chicks Talking Politics. She is the conservative on the show, Rachel. No shit. Yep. Uh, And she's pretty conservative. In fact, she thinks Mohammed is a terrorist. She said that Donald Trump was the only candidate that will confront and defeat the powers within that are colluding with radical Islam. So she's a little... Far right for my taste. Now, in December of 2016, she got into an incident with an actor activist named Leon Accord Whiting. Uh, she, she, Got into this I'm not quite sure what their thing was about but on social media they got into a pretty nasty argument. She called him a piece of human waste. She said if you can find him please send him my love but like sarcastically. She then sent him a private message saying, "Hey there little pussy, let me get my <laughs> big boy pants on and really take you on. What a snake in the grass you are. You lying piece of shit, too cowardly to confront me in real life so you do it on Facebook. You were the biggest F slur ass in the world, the biggest pussy. My dick is bigger than yours, which ain't much, which ain't saying much. What a true piece of shit you are. I hope you meet your karma slowly and painfully. She got fired from her radio show for all of this. Uh, Cindy Brady said this. Yes, this is the message she sent to him on Facebook. Jesus he, like, lady. Sent it to her. So she got fired from two chicks talking politics as a result. I don't know what she's up to now or if she I do think she she did apologize for this incident. Uh, so who knows what she's up to. Maybe I, she, I hope she gets, I hope she calms down and gets a little cooler. Cause I, I like don't Cindy know. Riddell. I don't know if you can come back from that personally.
1: <laughs> I feel like she's an adult woman now. And she's this like is, in her
0: fifties. This so, is so, yeah. who she is clearly. Yeah. It's disappointing. Now Eve Plum who played Jan, she probably had one of the most successful post acting uh, like careers as far as acting goes. And the kids, like obviously the two adults had some success. After the Brady Bunch ended, she did a really incredible NBC television movie called Dawn, Portrait of a Teenage Runaway. Did you see this movie? I didn't. <laughs> so in this movie, I'll, I'll read you the synopsis. She plays a 15-year-old girl named Dawn Weatherby who runs away from home to Hollywood, California and becomes a prostitute to support herself. She finds herself taken under the wing of a tough-talking pimp named Swan. Wow. (laughs) The film soundtrack features the song Cherry Bomb by The Runaways. Now, (laughs) I think I have seen this. It's a very dark, it's a television movie, but it has a real after-school special vibe to it. And then there was a sequel called Alexander, the other side of dawn, that focuses on another runaway in this uh, Hollywood runaway world, which was a fascinating world to me. Okay, now we're going to get to Maureen McCormick. She's our last person we're going to talk about. I told you I read her memoir. It's pretty. Uh, it's pretty juicy. So she grew up in a really dysfunctional family situation. She had an abusive. Family, there was alcoholism, there was cheating, and she's like in this situation while she's on this perfect family sitcom basically. So, going to work every day and then coming home to a really dysfunctional um, household. One day after the dad had been gone, the mom found a receipt that she thought proved he was cheating. She got drunk, and a f- huge fight ensued. The dad then sat down, all of the kids, Marine has like um, some brothers. And told them that their grandmother had died of syphilis and had given it to their mother and she had problems from the syphilis that she had gotten from their (gasps) grandmother and that she often had nervous breakdowns and was taking electroshock therapy. Was that true? Yes. But then Maureen was obsessed with her mom dying of syphilis. Her she grandmother. No, her grandmother had it and died of syphilis, but the mom also got infected when the grandmother gave birth to her.
1: Wow.
0: Uh, so I feel like she had gotten it treated, but she still had some kind of side effects from having it. Uh, yeah. So what a crazy thing to tell your kids like that for no reason, really. Like they didn't have to know it at that age. I mean, he just did it to be cruel. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, after this, the father becomes religious, um, he does some other creepy things, though, like because he you know sometimes people become religious, they want to help people. He started getting letters from a man who needed help, so he invites this man in, and he really tries to get Marine interested in him as a potential boyfriend. How old is she? She's at this point like sixteen. this man is like twenty, like an older man, uh too old for her. He comes to live with them. At some point, he goes into Maureen's room, and he tries to kiss her. She pushes him away. He's offended and leaves. They find out after the fact that he was a convicted felon from Florida who was riding Maureen's dad from prison, trying to get in his good graces and get into the house. Whoa. And no one knew that. So that's, like, another element that we were kind of talking about when you have these scary people in your house as a kid, and you don't know, like, who you know, growing up for me, it's like, who's this? There's just like another strange person in my house. It was during this period that she also went on a date with a young Michael Jackson. Really? Yes. They went ice skating together. This period, she also began to develop an eating disorder and started to drink and taking pills called crosses that would keep her up to study. Then she started taking those pills because she realized that they help her also lose weight. She went to, oh, sorry, this part, the Brady Bunch, is canceled now, but she's still like an in demand actress. She meets a producer that she refers to as JM, who really wanted to help her career and promised her her own starring role on a show that would be built around her. So they're really excited. She thinks this is a great guy. He invites her over to celebrate, he gets champagne. She goes there, she gets drunk off of like two glasses and then they go into the back room. She describes it as her feeling like, ooh, I was like having fun. He uh, starts to make out with her and push her down on the bed. She gets up and he's obviously pissed and leaves. He doesn't call her after that. So she's like crushed about that. He does eventually call her and try to like apologize. But she said at that point, she really was like, crushed she's like I don't have any self-esteem and I don't believe anyone wants me for me anymore I just think everyone's out to get something which is true probably like in Hollywood you have to be really careful and it sucks like but that really crushed her like she didn't feel good enough anymore at this point she starts doing some local theater and she meets a guy named Eric who's very connected he takes her to a party on Wonderland Avenue hosted by who he refers to as his teacher Bill. And that's where she first tries cocaine. Maureen says if there was coke, I had to stay up and do every last flake, even if it meant going without sleep for days. Nothing else mattered to me at that point. She got really into cocaine now. So once she started having trouble falling asleep, she got into quaaludes. All of this drug use led to her not being too careful about safe sex, and she got pregnant and had an abortion with her boyfriend, Eric. Now, Bill, Bill was like he he was called the teacher but he was really a drug dealer to the stars. That's who Bill was. And that gave Maureen and Eric this like little privileged existence. They were getting into the best restaurants. They were like at the best concerts and shows. They took a private jet with Bill to see the Eagles, Ooh. which is like very 70s. Bill's hot tub was installed by a young carpenter named Harrison Ford. I was going to say
1: <laughs> I was going to ask was it Harrison Ford? <laughs> Can you imagine how hot that would be if it's it's 1977 and a sweaty young Harrison Ford is installing a hot tub in your house? I would literally lick him clean.
0: (laughs) I kid you not. He is so so hot. Hot. Those pictures of him, when I see those pictures, like from whatever that time period, oh my God. It's like Bruce Springsteen level hot. Like you just can't believe it. He's so hot. So at this point, she also starts doing mushrooms at Bill's drug fueled parties. Like she's doing it all. But once she starts doing mushrooms and just everything, she starts getting very paranoid. She thinks that she'll, like, wake up from a drug stupor and think that she had killed someone while she was out. Like, really convinced that she had done something awful or committed a crime that she couldn't remember. Uh, She does break up with Eric at this point. Once she breaks up with him, she finds out she's pregnant and she has to have another abortion. Like, she doesn't on her own because she doesn't want to tell him or have him involved in that. Um, So she's just... She's living the life. It's bad. (laughs) Um, She is worried after her breakup with Eric that she would have less access to Bill. And um, she starts dating people at that point purely for their access to drugs. Uh, That's sort of her MO, whoever, whoever she brings in her life. Now, she did the Brady Bunch, the Variety Hour show we mentioned earlier, pretty much high the whole time. Uh, she's always showing up to work high thinking that no one knew what was happening and later finding out that everyone knew she had a problem. Now, in the late 70s Florence told her that her friend Chevy Chase uh had a friend named Steve Martin who was asking for Maureen's number. What? So they go on a date to Frank Frank and Musso's steakhouse. Musso, uh, Musso and Frank. Frank, sorry, Musso and Frank's steakhouse. Uh, Maureen is high on drugs on the date. They go back to her, or maybe it was his place, and like make out. But she's so high, and she's like, she's like during the date. She knew she was not like speaking correctly, and just looked like an idiot. And there was no second date. And she talks in the book about like she's like, oh, I always think like if only I had been on my best self, like he would have asked a second date. It's kind of like sad, like yeah. So the Bill connection is still happening, but eventually Bill gets busted for drugs. He had tie sticks. Is that like marijuana? Tie sticks, yeah. Yeah. He basically goes into a convenience store that cops happen to be in, like just randomly, and they smell, the pot smell is so strong that then they're like, hey, what's going on? What's in your truck? (laughs) So he gets busted like just in a random way. They're not even at his house. So that uh, connection dries up. But she keeps partying because, like I said, she's finding her people who can get her drugs. She actually is with people constantly who... Like, having these close calls, like, she'll be hanging out with people, doing drugs, and leave, and then immediately, once she leaves, the cops show up and arrest everybody. This happens to her several times, and she just, you know, she doesn't take it as a warning, though. She's like, ooh, I'm just lucky, lucky. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? That's very lucky. Yeah, it is pretty lucky, but she's not like, oh, I better be more careful at all. Desi, that's not how drug addicts operate. (laughs) (laughs) So she continues working somehow, but blowing all of her personal relationships with her addictions. She lands a role in a movie called Skate Town USA with Scott Baio. Uh, this puts her eating order in high eating gear, disorder. Eating disorder, sorry, yeah, in high gear because she wants to look thin on this movie. Um, she gets in trouble for showing up late on set, showing up coked out. She eventually checks herself into a psych ward for a week. When she returns on set. Richard Dreyfus happens to be there, and he convinces her to go to AA, uh, but she doesn't last long in AA. I think she goes to a few minute meetings, and then she's out. She's back on drugs and back to ruining her career. Now, she eventually hooks up with Someone she describes as a big-time type producer in Hollywood. She refers to him as Colin. She, she has like a lot of aliases in her book. She doesn't name names, really. And he loved sex and cocaine. Maureen was happy to give him the sex for the cocaine, so this relationship worked for her. She got a big break with an audition for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, she misses the first meeting with Steven Spielberg because she's <gasps> drugged out and she's too, she forgets to go.
1: Oh. Luckily,
0: they give her a second meeting. She uh, shows up though, completely on drugs, high as a kite, and the meeting is terrible. He's trying to talk to her; she's just like, blah, 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 like not making sense. Just, it's not going anywhere. But he's being polite. Eventually, he ends the meeting, and as she is about to leave, he offers her some fruit oh he's like here do you want an orange or something (laughs) like oh my god in her mind he's like she's like take get your fucking like get healthy take an orange like you know what i mean like that's how she reads it so that's a big miss for her because obviously that would have been a life-changing role her relationship with colin is bad news but it's not bad enough for maureen because they now start freebasing cocaine and getting into all hijinks with that did you freebase no i like snorting it what is freebasing? Is just smoking, smoking it. Smoking it, yeah. But it's dangerous because of it's it's good, but it's it's like she said that when she did this, it was shortly after Richard Pryor had set himself on fire from freebasing. Well, yeah, I mean you can light yourself on fire from that, yeah. But like, so it's dangerous in regards to that, but not any worse or better than snorting. I mean,
1: it. it's definitely a, like
0: a more addictive or anything.
1: No, yeah. I would say that nothing. I mean, you can be addicted to anything, yeah. but like. I think freebasing is just different. It's just a different level.
0: Yeah. So once she starts freebasing, her hallucinations start up again. She's constantly paranoid that the cops are going to bust in her door any moment. Like she just lives in constant fear. Now she's you know 25 at this time. She gets that beauty, um, Brady Brides role. And right away, everyone on set is like, what the fuck is up? with Maureen, something's not right. Sherwood Schwartz, um, he like calls her into the office and she's like, I'm addicted to cocaine. He puts her into treatment with a controlling psychiatrist to the stars who monitors every aspect of their life in something that's called 24-hour therapy. What? Like he does reading this her description of it it's literally like he's like if you have sex i will know about it and he has a nurse also who monitors her so it like it just adds to her paranoia that she's constantly being watched now eventually so is she at an outpatient yeah it's like an outpatient thing with this like psychotic therapist like psychiatrist monitoring her so
1: she has like a sober companion well that's what they would call that now but this sounds like a different level this is
0: not this sound, sounded like not good uh, and she uh Sherwood actually agrees. He's like, "No, this is not healthy." And he um she moves in with Lloyd Schwartz and his wife. She said, "I don't even remember how that happened, but I now then I moved in with Lloyd and his wife." Now it's around this time that she really hits rock bottom. She she did her first like actual sex for drugs exchange. Like before I think she was dating people, but this time it was purely like an exchange. So she said that she had met this man um she goes to his house to get drugs and like let him let him film her naked doing stuff just to get cocaine and she described it as just like a very low moment for her she was not in a good place her dad found out about it uh he threatened he was like threatening her to get off drugs or he was going to get her put in jail um and she said that was you know She said going to jail wasn't even the worst thing that could happen. The worst thing that could happen would be not having cocaine. Like that was her state of mind at that moment. So Maureen does finally get sober by becoming a born again Christian. And to be honest, I got bored at that point and stopped reading the book. (laughs)
1: It's like that record scratch moment where you real like it just puts a whole different tint on everything else you've just read too.
0: Yeah. I was like, I don't feel like going through this. <laughs> I know this story. Well, you know what? If she's happy. No, I mean, I'm going to get out. I do have some extra information. I just stopped reading the book. So she does get sober. She marries a man named Michael Cummings. I think they're still together. She does end up getting diagnosed with depression uh so she gets medication for that stuff which helps her obviously um she goes on Prozac uh so she you know has these friendships now and her former Brady Bunch cast members also are there for her and helping her In April of 2007, she appears on Dr. Phil to discuss a family dispute, accusing her brother of both elder abuse and alienating their father from his other children so that they can gain control of his finances. The same year, she joins the VH1 reality show, Celebrity Fit Club. She wants to lose 30 pounds that she had gained since her mother died of cancer and she had needed to move her disabled brother into an assisted living facility. She lost 34 pounds on the show, and she actually was the winner of that show. I've never seen it, but I guess they have a winner. She then released her autobiography, Here's the Story, Surviving Marsha Brady, in 2008. It debuted at number four on the New York Times bestseller list and stayed there for three weeks. So she does a bunch of more reality show stuff throughout the 2000s, including, I mentioned earlier, the Dancing with the Stars um, stint, and that's the Brady Bunch. (laughs) Wow, does.
1: I didn't know. I mean, I knew Maureen McCormick like had some drug problems, but I didn't know the extent of, of that, that she like went to hell with it. Yeah. Or that she felt like she was in hell. She,
0: she was really going through it for multiple years. Yeah. Uh, it is a good book. Her the, her the, memoir, yeah. The opening chapters are really interesting. Absolutely, <laughs> I'm sure the other stuff's good too. I just Look, ran out of time. You yeah. had to,
1: you it's had to, for me, Desi. <laughs> you had to read two books this week. That's a lot for dumb bitches like us.
0: <laughs> it hurt my brain. <laughs> oh my god!
1: Uh, uh, I loved hearing all the uh, Robert Reed stories because oh I god. I knew nothing about
0: him really. It's so funny. I mean, you gotta like. Those mom, The memos he was sending were just so funny to take the Brady Bunch so seriously. It was just hilarious. I just love the idea of being so pedantic about sitcom writing. How did she light those candles so fast? Like, just to that level of like, it's like, yeah, we're all not thinking of those things watching these shows. Right. <laughs> like, we're not questioning anything, like... At all.
1: It's honestly, I don't even know what, like, the Brady Bunch, I don't even know why I liked that show so much. Because it's so not the kind of stuff that I would normally be, like, interested in. I mean, me too. Even as a kid. But there is something,
0: I think, maybe there's just something dark about something so wholesome in a weird way. It was, Like, like,
1: I mean, even as a kid, I was like, this is, like, I didn't have the words for it, maybe, but I realized how
0: campy it all was. Yeah. Like, it was just so stupid. It's kinda like we talk now about watching reality TV. Like you don't have to think. I think for me as a kid, it's like I could just sit there and watch this and it was like entertaining enough, but it wasn't complicated. Right. Right. <laughs> so it was like comforting in a way. Yeah. I, I don't know. I have no idea. Because you're right, it's not typically something I liked either. I didn't it's it's also like we just had less things. Yes. So uh, absolutely. I, I mean you that, watched what was on. Yeah, that's why
1: I've seen I mean, I've seen so many garbage programs just when I was a kid or so many things that like, why would I be watching? I would never choose that. There was
0: like Nickelodeon and like a few stations like after school would have old sitcoms. Well, Nick at Night. Yeah. Like Bewitched and like I Dream of Jeannie. Like, I mean, I've seen like a lot of those shows, um, but I think the Brady Bunch was the one I really watched the most. I don't know why. I The Naked Night shows I watch the most, definitely Brady Bunch,
1: definitely I Love Lucy, and I thought Taxi was really funny.
0: Oh. Yeah, I didn't get in. I have a thing with certain shows. I don't like the color. It was too <laughs> 70s? It's too brown. It was too I brown? I don't like brown shows. Like, it's too, like... <laughs> like, I won't watch M.A.S.H., oh. Taxi.
1: <laughs> well, you just There's mean certain,
0: the, the color palette. The color palette is too brown for me. It's or olive. I don't like it's it. It's like olive green. I, I can't explain it, but you know what I'm talking about. I so.
1: do. It's like, I mean, look, Taxi did not have the most interesting color palette, and it mostly... I feel like it t- only took place in that stupid garage. Right. But And that wasn't like a go-to show, but I did watch it. I think I really just like the theme song. Yeah. Honestly, I think I just like the theme song.
0: Look, a lot of those... Taxi obviously is an instrumental, but a lot of things I like about those old shows is, like you said, the theme song is a prologue. Yes, like even Gilligan's Island, you hear the whole story. <laughs> if you've never seen Gilligan's Island, you're caught up, right, <laughs> for that episode. It's you, like, you know what I mean. You don't
1: need a previously
0: on. No, it like, tells you. It's that's just the simplicity of it. Um, I
1: I liked um I liked the Dick Van Dyke show. I definitely watched I watched that. that on Nick at Night. What was the other one that I really liked? Obviously, I mean, I love Lucy. Like, who doesn't like I love Lucy? You don't like I love Lucy. I don't love it. (laughs) I know. I remember being, like, so surprised. I'm like, she's a funny redhead. I like Lucy. I don't love her. (laughs) You like her a normal amount. I like Fred. Oh, my God.
0: You are Fred. That's because you are Fred. I'm Fred. Uh yeah, and I uh, I liked Bewitched. That was like my favorite really? old show. Oh my god, I love Bewitched. Didn't they love have, it? Didn't they do like two different husbands? Yes. Well that was brought up in this book. Like when Sherwood Schwartz was gonna fire Mike, he's like, "I'll fucking Dick York you," because that's what they did. They yeah. hi, they fired and got another Dick, Dick Sargent. Yeah, no, I love all of my early cats are named after Bewitched. I had Andorra. <gasps> I had Samantha. <laughs> really, like, I loved Tabitha. I had a Tabitha cat as Those well. Those are great
1: cat names.
0: They're all good cat names. Yeah, so I loved Bewitched. I mean, first of all, Bewitched has a lot of iconic, you know, characters like. Gay icons. Yes. So it was what I mean, it had like a Paul Lind character. There was the nosy neighbor. And Dora is just like the greatest. It's just, it's such a good She's show. She's a drag queen. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, that was like a show I was like, ooh. Yeah. It I was, loved it. it was good. Yeah.
1: Um. Cool. Well, I would love to do like a, some kind of like a Nick at Night themed show at some point or maybe do another deep dive into one of these iconic old shows. Yeah.
0: It's fun. There's we'll so find- much scandals and like, Crimes. I mean, even though they didn't get busted, they were committing crimes. They were, Desi, they
1: were doing criminal activities, smoking marijuana cigarettes on the set of the Brady Bunch. I love how Greg Brady, Barry Williams is like, Oh, I was so naughty. I smoked a joint and then came to set.
0: I know. And Maureen McCormick is like, Hold my beer, (laughs) hold my crap, hold my freebase pipe. Yeah, it
1: was just like really funny to me. No, her
0: stuff was like, really like I didn't get it I couldn't get into everything because it would have been her own episode basically but yeah it was dark yeah she had some dark moments there um sure cool well now I feel like watching some Brady Bunch episodes
1: Uh we'll post some great pictures I have some ideas in mind already of what I want to post I'm sure Desi does okay cool so we'll see you guys on Instagram and then we will see you for the mini episode on Friday on Friday
0: yeah bye okay wait I
1: have one more announcement oh and then I'll make another announcement again. We don't run the Facebook groups. Oh, Okay. Uh, some one of our listeners was asking me why, like, they haven't been accepted into the group, and I felt really bad. But um, I let them know that, like, we don't run any Facebook groups. We used to, but we shut it down months ago. So uh, I don't know what I don't know what to say other than that. If you find a Facebook group, it's listener made. There might be more than one, maybe. Or yeah. start your own. Yeah. You're free to start your own. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's it. Okay. Bye. I'll, bye.